Okay, if you'll come on in and have a seat, we'll get our class time started. Get my microphone here. Can everybody hear me okay in the back? All right. <clears throat> well, welcome everybody again, and those of you who uh, are tuning in online, and uh, wow, what happened to summer? I walked out on my front porch this morning in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and like to froze. But I'm not complaining, right? It's, it's very welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the weather getting cooler and the trees start, the leaves starting to change and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful time of year coming up, right? So we got that to look forward to. We haven't had football either, so that's coming up, right? So that's good too, right, for us guys, right? Anyways, yeah. I've been watching too much Food Network and uh, Lifetime. It's time to watch your football. No, I, I, I enjoy those shows. Jolene sits there and watches those food shows, and the next thing you know, I'm going to Kroger to, with all the ingredients for what she saw on TV. But that's good. You eat good, right, when you get to see that, right? You get good meals, so that's good. All right, before we begin today, we need to go over our prayer list. Um, have a few names here we need to mention. Of course, Symphony's expended to uh, Earl Manning and the family and the passing of his father on the 16th in Phoenix. And uh, Alan Carlisle's mom passed away, I believe it was... Friday or yesterday, I'm not sure which day, but uh, his mom did pass away, so please remember the Carlisle family at this time as well. Uh, ben Hogan's granddad, Quentin Hogan, has been moved to a rehab facility to recover from some back surgeries. And uh, Al Bonadies, Greg Bonadies' dad, has been moved to a hospital in Augusta, is that correct? To, uh, to go for rehab for recovery, so at least he's out of the hospital, so I guess that's good news, right? Uh, and then we have a few others who are still going through some stuff with COVID, uh, but I think most of the ones that we've mentioned are recovering, are in recovery. Uh, Jennifer Ham, Linda Waters' granddaughter, has it, and then Nancy Brown, Sue Havard's sister, has been moved to a rehab facility. I want to mention, too, Jerry Tenary had a little flare-up with his eye in the past week or two, and uh, he was uh, uh, going to the doctor to see about that. So I think that's better, but uh, please continue to remember Jerry with his eye. And the, and the issues they had with that infection. Also good news, got a call from Linda Overly on Friday and Cless Overly is in remission. So wonderful news, praise the Lord. She was saying the doctor said that's very unusual for someone with leukemia to see that go into remission. So prayers work, don't they? Prayers are answered and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, he will be able to continue with that. I think he is kind of weak and stuff like that, but of course, you know, but uh, that is really good news, so I wanted to pass that on. Anyone else we need to be remembering at this time in our prayers? No? All right, let's go to our Father in prayer before we begin. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we praise you and we honor your name, Father, and we thank you for your blessings, blessings you've bestowed upon us in our personal lives and in this congregation, Father, and our families, and we just thank you for sending Jesus Christ that we might have some hope and uh, and we see the love that you have for us in sending your son that even though we were sinners and we were without hope and we were unworthy, you gave him that we might have a hope of eternal life and, and redemption. Father, we ask you to be with those who have been mentioned on our prayer list today, that they may be healed or comforted if possible. And we ask you to be with those who might be mourning a loss or, or those who are helping others uh, to recover, to be with them at this time. Help us to know how to comfort and edify each other in this congregation father and we thank you for this congregation for the people here who have a heart for for service who have a love for you that's 
uh, so willing to do what your will is, Father, and we just thank you for that. We ask you at this time, Father, to be with our nation <clears throat> as we're going through a new election process. We ask you to continue to be with our leaders, help them to make the right decisions, help this country to be able to elect a new president, new, uh, new senators, and all, whatever, all the officers in the government that will lead this country in the right way and according to your will. And of course, we know your will will be done, Father, and we, we want that, and we, we honor you, and we praise you for that, Father. We ask you to be with us through this class time. We might be able to take something from your lesson here today, from your word, that we might be able to apply in our lives, that we can grow spiritually, Father, and, 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 and be able to be a better example to others around us in our communities and in our families. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to be together at this time during this pandemic, and we ask you to continue to uh, help those who are in sickness or hurting from this pandemic and, and suffering losses. Please end it, Father. Please, please carry us through this that we might get back to our, our normal lives, Father, and, and be able to thrive and, and work in the kingdom that we might be, be able to, uh, so others may be able to see you and us. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. If you will, be opening up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. We are studying the Gospel of John. We've mentioned the last two weeks how John is a, a unique Gospel. You have the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, and that's because they tend to describe similar events, right? They, not necessarily in the same chronological order, but generally speaking, the, uh, many of the same events are mentioned in all three. <clears throat> we mentioned how all three Gospels were probably written to different audiences, right? Matthew to the Jewish Christians, perhaps, or to the Jews in general. Uh, Luke more to the Gentiles, and then Mark was probably written to the Gentiles or in Rome who, who uh, did need to under, wanted to understand some things about the old law as he described some things about the Jewish traditions, the Jewish law, and, and actually uh, defined some words, some Jewish words and stuff. So those are all there. Uh, as a synoptic gospel, but John's different, isn't it? John's very unique in that he doesn't necessarily mention the same events that you read about in the first three gospels. It's also written in a, perhaps a different style, a different way. And it's not necessarily written to a specific group. In fact, we read in John 20, what? Verse 30 and 31, and I want to come back to that because this tells us why the gospel's written. If you go over to verse 30 of chapter 20, he says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why was John written? That you may believe. Wow. I mean, that's written to everybody, right? We all should have that opportunity to believe. It's not one specific group. It's everybody. Everybody has that opportunity, right? And that's what John is saying. Last week we talked about the light that came into the world. John talks about that in chapter 1. The light that was witnessed by certain people, right? There were those who bore witness of that light. We have records of that. He mentions one right there in chapter 1, remember? John the Baptist came before him, was a witness to that light, witness of the light that came into a dark world. Before him, we had who? The prophets, right? In the Old Testament, we have many prophecies about the Messiah that was to come, that bore witness of that light that was to come into the dark world. We mentioned God the Father, right? 
Remember, at Jesus' baptism, at his transfiguration, voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father bore witness to the light. After that, after his ascension, you had what? The apostles going out, beginning to preach, establishment of the church in the first century. They also bore witness of that light. And then we have others who came along after that, other followers. And we mention even to this day, right? To this day, we as followers of Christ are doing what? Or should be doing, bearing witness of the light, the light that came into the world. In the prologue, chapter 1, John introduces Jesus as that light that shines in the darkness in verse 5, to whom John the Baptist bore witness in verses 6 through 8, and who gives light to every man, verse 9. But John goes on to declare a few other things, doesn't he, in that prologue if you've read it. Uh, later in the gospel, he mentions that not everyone was willing to receive that light. Not everyone was willing to believe and have abundant life, have the blessings that go along with that. In fact, even his own people rejected him, right? There were those who rejected him among the Jews. In fact, as we, as we all know, right, what eventually happened, the Jews did what? He was crucified. Yeah. So we have many that reject him, but there are a few who receive him, and they are blessed by him. Well, that same message remains today, doesn't it? Many people today do not receive Jesus, right? I mean, we live in a dark world, and without that light, it's hard to see where we're going. It's hard for many to believe. Uh, and those that don't believe are missing out on some wonderful blessings. Some wonderful blessings. Let's read a few verses from chapter 1 there, beginning in verse 9, John chapter 1. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love that verse. Not born by blood, by the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but by God. Well, how, why, why do people not receive Christ? I mean, after a verse like that, what, why? Why wouldn't you want to become a child of God? The God that created the world, as John already mentioned. The God that sent His Son because of His love for us, that He might die for our sin. And also, how can we receive Him? How do we do that? And how can we receive the blessings from Christ? Turn over to John chapter 7. A couple of verses here that I thoroughly love. And when I read it, it just impresses me so much. Um, beginning in verse 37. And this is during the feast of the Passover. Jesus is saying, And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom these believe, those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this was probably done during the Passover feast, toward the end. <coughs> Tradition was during the Passover feast for a priest to take a golden pitcher and go to the pool of Siloam and scoop up water and would go to the altar and pour water onto the altar. This was to commemorate, of course, the water flowing from the rock while they were wandering in the wilderness. This occurred each day all the way to the last day. And most likely, this is when Jesus made this statement, right? That was occurring. So those around could see and be thinking about the, wa the life-giving water that God provided for the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness. And he's saying, believe on me and I will give you, what did he say? Rivers of living water. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Man, that is an awesome thought, is it not? What does that mean exactly? Well, we have to have water to live, right? We have to have that water to survive. Without water, you don't live very much longer, right? Yet, he is giving us something that we, the rivers of flowing water out of our hearts. Think of the abundance of that. Think, think of what that sounds like. When you go to a cool creek on a hot day, just listening to it, what's that do for you? It's refreshing, isn't it? Even if you don't even drink any of it, it's a refreshing thing, isn't it? Think about that for a second. It's wonderful. What a wonderful statement. We live in a time when, and, and, and actually, this, I was just discussing this the other day with Brother Wayne over there. We live in a time when it seems like everything's turned around, isn't it? I mean, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, it hasn't been that long ago, the church was influencing things in the culture, was it not? You know, may, maybe farther along than that. But in the last, I don't know, 50 years or so? It seems like that's been turned around, hasn't it? The church is being influenced by the culture. Why is that? We've gotten away from the blessings of Jesus Christ. We've gotten away from believing in the creator of the universe. Who did not receive this light? Well, the world in general, right? The world was a dark place. They didn't receive this light. Even though he brings light to every man, even though we know that the world was made through him. But in particular, not just the world, his own people, the Jews, rejected him. They did not believe. He had come into his own land, and he had come to his own people in Israel. And yet, they rejected him. Why did they not receive the light? Well, let's look at that. Verse 10 says, they did not know him. All right, keep your finger there in John in chapter 7. Let's look at a few verses. Even his own brothers at first did not know him. Look at verse 5 there. Well, look at verse, look at verse 4. For, one to, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Interesting, interesting concept that his own family didn't believe who he was, right? Who do you say you are? Jesus of Christ? Yeah, come on. But turn over to Acts 1 real quick. Look at verse 12, Acts 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication 
with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It wasn't just the apostles there. It wasn't just Mary. It was his brothers. You see, after that resurrection occurred, something changed there, right? They said, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Okay, maybe he is who he says he was. Maybe there's something different here. Jesus even says in chapter 4 there, verse 44, a prophet has no honor in his own country. That's a very true statement, isn't it? Just look what's going on today in our country. There's so much infighting going on, it's unbelievable. So many different opinions about things. The prophet has no honor. Even though he's prophesying about the truth, he's telling us what we need to do in his own country. He gets laughed at. He's not honored. Other reasons provided by John in his gospel. Turn over to chapter 3 real quick. And let's look at that. Verse 19. Actually, verse 18. Chapter 3. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only forgotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world... And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. When you're living right, you got anything to worry about? Well, you might have some things to worry about, but... And by the way, Kyle says we're not supposed to worry last week, if y'all heard that. But yeah, we don't have anything to worry about with the government. We shouldn't. We're doing the right things. We don't have to worry about with God if we're doing the right things, right? We're trying to do what His will is. But yet there are some who love the darkness more than the light. They love to do evil. That's a fact, folks. That's the way it is. Some will do that. Turn over to chapter 7 again. Reading a lot from chapter 7 today. Verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Why do some not receive the light? Well, it says here there was a fear of the Jews. Afraid of what others think. Afraid of what might happen to them if they speak out. Ever been in that situation? What about when you're at work and somebody makes some comment about Christians in general? A snide coming or someone tells a nasty joke or something. I mean, those are kind of silly examples, but it happens, doesn't it? Does that make you want to say something? But perhaps you don't. Ever think about that? Perhaps you don't say anything because fear of what my people might think. Fear of what might happen. Yeah, that's there, isn't it? Look over there in verse 40. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? 
Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the, and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among, those, among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Some get misinformed about the facts, don't they? Do we have false teachers today? Yeah, we had false teachers in the first century, we got them today. Some get misinformed. Some don't truly know the truth. They truly don't see the light. And so they don't receive it. Turn over to chapter 9 there real quick. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Wow! So some don't receive the light because of their traditions. Right? Have you ever spoken to someone about their faith? And they said, well, my family is all this, and I can't change because of my family. I, I kind of see what you're saying. I think it's the truth. But I've always been doing this. My family has this tradition, and I can't, I can't go back on that. You ever heard that? You ever thought that about yourself? Man, that's a tough thing to do, isn't it? To go against your family? Yeah. There are traditions that are ingrained in us as we grow, as we are raised, right? Tough to break those. Tough to go against that. Some didn't receive the light because of their traditions. And then this one, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 42. Actually, 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, even among the rulers... Many believed in him. Many among the rulers believed in him. These are Jews, these are Pharisees who have been ingrained in their traditions, I mean, their whole lives, right? What's he say? They did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Man, I don't want the praise of God. I don't care about the praise of men. You know why? Because that ain't going to last. Yeah, it feels good when you get a little praise, right? Sure. And you should praise each other. We should edify each other. But to put that before the praise of God? Come on, man. Makes no sense. There were some who didn't receive the light because they wanted the praise of men more than the praise of God. All right, well, talk a little bit about why some did not receive the light. Let's talk a minute about what comes with receiving the light. What, why, why should we receive the light? What, what are the benefits of receiving the light? John chapter 12, let's go back and read that. I mean, John chapter 1, go back over there and read verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. 
Okay? Interesting. The word right there signifies an authority, right? An ability. Something that I can do. I have the ability to do it. I have the authority to do it, right? Receiving Christ gives us that authority and the ability to become sons of God, children of God. Turn over to John's other letter in 1 John there. Let's read a verse from that. 1 John, bring it over there, chapter 3. And verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Exclamation point. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. What a manifestation of His love. What a, what a wonderful statement of His love for us that we can become children of His. Making us, as in Romans 8 says, heirs with Christ. We become children. We become heirs of His grace, His love, just as Christ was an heir. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome to think about, right? Wonderful manifestation of that statement. We have this privilege of being born of God. Just read that. Verse 13, let's read that one again. Who, who, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Not of blood, or else that would be a physical descent, right? Not of flesh, uh, that could be, become a virtue of, you know, lust of the flesh or sin. Not of the will of man, putting the will of man above the will of God or the power of man, but of God. A rebirth only through the Spirit of God. Turn over to chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Verse 5. Well, verse 4. Let's read verse 4 first. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus said, You've got to be born again. Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now we know from our study of the kingdom, you've got to be in the kingdom be a child of God, right? So we've got to be there. Become that child of God. We've got to do something. First of all, we've got to believe in His name, which is to say we believe in the person, because the name embodies the person, right? We know the name of Jesus Christ, and that's His embodiment to us. We can't see Him in the flesh. We know He is reigning in His kingdom and spirit, and we know Jesus Christ that way. But believing in Him gives us that power, as it's mentioned here, to become a child of God. Wait a minute, I said become. Believing in Him gives us that power to become. I didn't say believing in Him makes us a child of God. Faith in Jesus alone does not make us a child of God. I just mentioned the rulers believe, right? We have many verses that talk about that, right? Even demons believed, remember? And shuddered. Hmm. So, it's apparent that just believing doesn't get the job done. It doesn't make us child of God, a child of God. Many believed in Him 
but did not become his disciple. <clears throat> Only by abiding in his doctrine can we do that. Turn over to chapter 8 there, and let's look at a few verses. Beginning in verse 20, let's go to 25. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. You remember what I said a couple weeks ago when we read when Jesus was before Pilate? And Pilate said, Why did you come? Are you the king? And he says, I came to bear witness of the truth. Verse 27, They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, true freedom is being a child of God. You're always going to be a slave to something. All right? Now, I'm not talking about physical slavery here. I'm talking about your spiritual slavery. You're slave to either sin or to God. One or the other. There's no in-between. Right? One or the other. Seems to me, if you want to be blessed, you need to be a slave to God, right? When faith comes to us to obey Christ, we become children of God. Well, how does faith make us a child of God? Well, turn over to Galatians 3, and we'll read a verse that you should all know, but we'll read it anyways. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. And i got to add, there's neither black or white or red or whatever you want to call it. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Not only do we become children of God, we get the promise of Abraham to be blessed through all, I mean, to be blessed, all nations be blessed through him. How do we do that? By putting on Christ in baptism. Jesus bear, is, becomes the author of our salvation when we obey him. Look over at Romans chapter 6. And this is a chapter I always go to if I've got to talk to someone about whether baptism is essential or not. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And then look down to... I mean, first of all, we know we are buried with him in the baptism and raised again, right? That symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. We are raised in this life. Look down at 15, verse 15 then. 
What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. You're not supposed to go on sinning. You're going to sin. But that don't mean you continue to do it. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What was that form of doctrine? To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. That's how, we, that's how we become a child of God. Real quickly, turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, and let's read something there. This is a really good verse. What did you see? Verse 9, chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's not just believing, folks. You've got to do something. You've got to obey. Not that what you do is going to save you. You're saved by the grace of God. No works of any man can save him. Can't be done. The only way you can be saved is through the grace of God and his mercy. But just believing, as we've seen, doesn't get it. You've got to become that disciple. And that, by becoming that disciple, that child of God, you get to receive the blessing. All right. We know about other commands. Mark 16, 16, though. Believe and be baptized, right? We know uh, we are truly born again just from water and spirit, just there in John 3 and 5. And some will misapply John's words in verse 12 there. Teaching that a child of God simply has to receive Christ in faith. I'm sure you've heard someone say, just pray a prayer with me. The sinner's prayer, right? Just say a prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart and you will be saved. And by the way, that's not found in Scripture anywhere. Did you know that? Just saying. Yet receiving Christ in faith gives us the power to become, not make one to become, as I mentioned. And we must appropriate that power to an obedience of faith, right? Such as confessing our faith, repenting of our sins, Romans 10 tells us about the confession, culminating uh, our obedience by putting on Christ in our baptism. Yes, we, we just read there in Galatians. Jesus is the true light, as has been said by John, who gives light to every man, bringing grace and truth to those who believe in his name and who have become children of God. Providing a way of salvation through his blood. Right? And we'll continue to bear witness of his name. It's not just the obedience through baptism, right? It's not just having faith. It's something that has to become part of our daily life, right? When we become a child of God, we're children, right? We don't know what all we need to do. I mean, even, even someone who's raised in the church and you've been going to Bible school your whole life, maybe you went to a Christian high school, Christian college, whatever, you don't know it all. In fact, some of you folks are a little older than me. I don't think any of you going to say you know it all, right? I don't know. Jim Freeman might, might raise his hand if I said that. But. No. It's a constant thing, isn't it? 
we're constantly growing. We're constantly trying to grow in spirit to become more like Christ as a disciple, a child of God. But we got to do that, right? We can't keep drinking milk. Well, I, I drink milk every day, but you can't keep drinking the milk, right? You got to get past that. You got to grow. You got to mature. How do we do that? Got to be in the Word. You got to be in that Word, folks. You got to be in prayer. Um, I've heard it said that the, the, the one greatest thing that prayer does is helps you to align your will with God's will. And that's, that's true. Sure, there's so many other benefits that come from prayer, you know. We, we, we are told to ask, and you shall receive, right? We're told to praise Him in, in, in word and song. But as we grow, as we become more mature, our will should become more like God's will. Using Jesus as our example, right? The one perfect man who ever lived. We are to become more like him every day. Understanding his love, understanding his compassion, understanding his willingness to speak as the Father had taught him, as we just read there. We're not persecuted like they were in the first century, are we? We don't have to worry too much. I mean, I don't think we have to worry about being thrown in jail for what we believe. I don't know. That may change in a few years. I don't think we have to worry about getting beaten by rods because we preach Jesus Christ. Our persecution, and we, we have it, it's a little more subtle, isn't it? It's a little more, as I mentioned, maybe, maybe you get something at work from someone and makes you fearful to stand up for his name huh there's many times when I've, I've been in that boat I know I try to speak up for Christ at, at work wherever I am when I have the opportunity I'm not gonna go preaching or that kind of thing but there have been times when something was said and I didn't speak up and later on I felt bad about it I did and I would ask for forgiveness of that that happens, don't it? That, that's kind of a little bit of a persecution, isn't it? Form of persecution. We've got to get to that point where it don't matter. You will confess his name and suffer the consequences that that be. That might mean, that might mean, I don't know, losing a job. Might mean losing a friend. It might mean Looking like a fool? Because remember, the world's kind of dark. But that's all part of that growth and maturity. All part of that becoming a child of God. If you're willing to believe in His name, you have that right to become a child of God. It's not just with believing. You've got to obey. You can be born of God, and provided your faith is an obedient faith, be willing to abide in that doctrine of Christ. How terrible, to me it's just so terrible to think about going through life and that's it. I mean, do you ever think about it really? I know we, we tend to stay busy and, I, and I've heard people say that I, I, I stay too busy, I can't think of things like that. At some point you got to, right? You're going to get sick. 
you're going to have a close loved one or friend that gets sick. At some point, you've got to think about it. What happens when you die? This can't just be it, right? This can't just be it. There's got to be more. How cruel that is to think we just live here for a little while and then we die. What's the point? There's got to be more, right? I can't imagine going through life with not a, without a hope of eternal life. I can't imagine it. But the world does it, right? People do it. Or maybe they think, there's something to this, but I'm just not going to believe. And we've mentioned several reasons why. We have the hope. That should motivate you. I know you're not going to think about that 24-7. But you ought to be putting the first things first, right? You ought to be getting up in the morning and thinking, what am I going to do for the Lord today? How can I become a better Christian? How can I grow spiritually? How can I serve in the kingdom? Because you're in the kingdom. We don't think about that too much either, do we? We're part of the kingdom of heaven. We're living as citizens in the kingdom. We got work to do. Um, we all can't go overseas, become missionaries. You know, it's just not possible. For most of us, you know, the, the vast majority of us. But we got people living next door who are living in a dark world, right? We got people who work with us who are living in a dark world. Trying to climb that corporate ladder, right? Make something of themselves. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But like I said, if all you got to look forward to is death, What's the point? What difference does it make? I have that hope through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his love for me. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm there in the end. And I'm going to do everything I can. My family, my children are out of the house now. I can't control their minds anymore. Not like I could ever control them anyways. But I hope that I gave them a foundation that they can rightly divide the truth. And when they hear things that are not right, they know the difference, right? I know most of you in here have older children probably. There's a few of you that are younger, and that's good. Train up your children in the way of the Lord. That they might know who God is, and they might believe in Him as John says, and become children of God. If you do nothing else in your life, you've done well. Giving someone else that hope of eternal life that you have is a wonderful thing. I've had a few that I, I felt like I had a hand in converting. Uh, I, there, there's going to be many that you don't realize you helped, right? That's going to happen. But I have a few, my family, my children, but others. And when you get to see that happen, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's more wonderful than anything else you could do in life, really, you know. It is. All right.
I've been preaching too long. I know this is a Bible class, but when you're, when you're studying the gospel, it's hard not to preach, right? Because you're talking about the Son of God and the Son of God who came and died for our sins. If nothing else today, know John 20 and 30, 31. He wrote these words that you might believe in his name and have the blessings of life. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.